morning. Today's passage comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see his guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited but few are chosen. Good morning. So I guess it's time to put on our snow tires, huh? <laughs> Goodbye summer. <laughs> Chilly day out there. Well, this month, earlier in the month, Jeannie and I celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's something I'm so thankful for the wife that God's given me. And a week ago... Our four grown children, two of their two spouses, a boyfriend, got together and they decided they wanted to put on a nice dinner for us to celebrate our anniversary. And so they'd been planning it for a while. We, they picked a night that would work for everyone last a week ago Friday. And so they were planning ahead of time the menu. And during the week, there were a lot of whisperings behind the scenes they didn't want us to hear as they were planning this whole event. And then they were gone a lot of that day, shopping and organizing and cooking and, and all. And so they said, wait at home. They were preparing this feast over at our son Josh and Grace's house. And they said, wait at home and we'll call you when it's ready. So we waited and they said it'd be around six, a little after six. We got the call. Our daughter called and said, hey, it's ready. You can come now. So we jumped in the car, drove over there, and, and they, we just had a wonderful time. It was wonderful food they'd worked on much of the day. It was beautiful time, especially what was great was just the time together, being together as a family and enjoying that. And then after dinner, we all jumped in cars and drove up by Table Rock and hiked up to the top and watched the sunset as a family together. And then we went back and had dessert. What a marvelous day. Now, imagine if, after all that excitement and anticipation and preparation, our daughter called and said, okay, it's ready, come. And we said, you know, we just decided we were going to pull a few weeds in the garden and just kind of see what's on TV. So, um, you know, thanks for the invite, but we're not coming. Wouldn't that be awful? I mean, that would be totally absurd for one thing to miss the opportunity to feast together. But also it would be a huge insult to them after all they'd done. 
Well, it's much like this parable, isn't it? Because in the parable, the king of the country has prepared a huge feast for his son. His son's getting married. This is the king of the country. And it says he's killed the fatted calf. He's killed a number of livestock. I mean, this is the, the event of the year in this country. He sent out all kinds of invitations. They know ahead of time it's coming. And then finally when it's ready, he sends out his servants and says, okay, go tell everybody that got invited. It's time. Let's celebrate. And nobody came. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that absurd? I mean, what if you'd been invited to Chelsea Clinton's wedding? Would you just turn it down? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no comment. But think about this celebration. I mean, you know, we have wedding celebrations. We have receptions that last a few hours. But a Jewish wedding typically lasted a full week. Think about Fiddler on the Roof. Think about the dancing and this wedding celebration. It tends to go on a whole week. Well, for the king, it probably would have lasted for weeks on end. And you get to be part of that. You get to celebrate with everyone else. And these people were refusing to come. Isn't that absurd? And wasn't that a huge insult to the king and to his son? So in the context here of this parable that Jesus tells that's so shocking... At the end of chapter 21, we see what the context is. Verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, Jesus has been teaching several parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. You see, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem the last week of his life. He knows it's the end. The confrontation is accelerating with the Jewish leaders. The end is coming soon, and he's speaking parables of confrontation to them to try to win them back, like this one. Verse 46 says, When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So in this context, Jesus is about to be betrayed and crucified. But he teaches parables, a number of parables, to warn them, to say, Don't miss the party. The Messiah is standing right in front of you. Follow me. Trust me. Don't go your own way. Don't miss the party. But the Jews were continuing to reject him because of their own biases, their own ideas of what they wanted in a Messiah. So this parable is a great and loving warning to them. And if you think about how the parable functions on a superficial level, it, it really is, a judgment on the Jews, that the, the invitation went out to them, believe in the Messiah. It went out again and again and again. And finally, when they don't respond, then he says, well, judgment's coming. You had your chance. And it happened 40 years after this that the Jews rebelled against the Romans and the temple was destroyed and their country was wiped out for the next 2,000 years almost because they rejected him. And instead, the invitation went out to others, to the Gentiles. And I love verse 10 because it says, 
The slaves went out into the street and gathered together all they found, both, now it says good and bad in the NIV, but literally the order in the Greek text is both evil and good. It went out to everybody, the Gentiles, to us. The invitation came, come to the party. Let's celebrate the Son. Let's celebrate Him. So Jesus comes into this setting of unbelief and He declares to them, you've gotten off track. You're missing it. God has spoken through me, so come, believe, trust. It's a parable of warning. Don't be a fool, He's saying. The kingdom of God is standing right in front of you. Trust me, come to the party. It's interesting the way it's structured here because as a pastor, I get to officiate at a lot of weddings. And one of the things I do when we are doing the rehearsal is we line up and I tell the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, I say, look, at this wedding, the bride is the center of everything. You face her, you watch her because she's really the center of all. The, the groom too, but you know, he's kind of secondary <laughs> in these things. The bride's the center. But in this parable, who's the bride? It isn't even mentioned who it is, is it? No, this is a wedding feast for the Son. It's a reminder to us that the, the feast that we are to come to, the party that we come to, is all about Jesus. He is the center. He is whom we celebrate. He is who the party is all about. We're here to celebrate Him. Now let me say that I think this parable for the Jews and I think maybe for us if we really dig into it is a little bit shocking because what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God is like a big party. That's what it's like. Now the Jews would have said, well yeah, I know at the end of the ages there'll be, you know, a big feast and we're looking forward to that but, but not here. But I think what Jesus is saying is that no... <laughs> The kingdom of God here on earth is a party. It's meant to be a celebration of the Son. And that should be foundational to our faith. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there is pain. And yes, we struggle against sin. Jesus isn't minimizing all that, but He's saying far deeper, far more significant than those things that we go through in life in a fallen world is a celebration of the Son. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. And He wants His people, us, to be celebrating people. Partying people. <laughs> celebrating the Son. Not superficially, but deeply. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, where he describes the kingdom of God. And he says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking... Now, in the context, he's talking about following religious rules. He says, that's not what the kingdom of God's about. It's not about working hard to follow religious rules. He says, but the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. But I think as Christians, sometimes we... We miss that. We hear that and we go, I don't know. And then we, Frederick Nietzsche, the great philosopher, secular philosopher, said this, If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, 
you are going to have to look a lot more redeemed. Ouch. If you want me to believe in your Redeemer, you're going to have to look a lot more redeemed. I think many of us as Christians live a pretty pressured life. And we hear these things about joy and, and we, we don't really get it. We, we want that, but it doesn't seem to characterize us. I don't know if you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can. It's about Frank Abagnale Jr. based on a true story and he was a young man who ran away from home and started counterfeiting money and ended up stealing millions of dollars, traveling all over the world, running from the law, got away with a whole lot of stuff. Finally got captured at age 19 after all that, and, but then he escaped again and where they caught him was his parents had split up, his mother had remarried, had a new family and new children, and the police caught him staring in the window because in all that he did, what he really wanted was a family. He wanted the joy that they were experiencing. And I think many of us as Christians kind of feel that way. We're sort of the Bible talks about joy. We should live a life of joy, rejoice in the Lord always, etc. But we feel like we're kind of looking in the window and yeah, there's joy there, but I'm on the outside. I'm not part of that. We feel like we're missing out. And part of that may be, you know, at times we feel like, well, we can't enter into the pleasures of sin like the world around us. So we don't get to do that. And the Christian life feels like a burden and pressure that I've got to clean up my life and I've got to do all the right things. And, and so we don't feel this sense of joy a lot of times. But Jesus is saying in this parable and many other places in the scripture, I want you to join the party. <laughs> I want you to live a life of celebration, to celebrate me and live in that world not avoiding or ignoring pain and suffering, but in the depths of your soul, living a life of joy. And I believe we can do that. But there's a couple things that this parable suggests that keep us from entering into that joy even now. One is refusing the invitation and the other is wearing the wrong clothes. So let's look at these together. How can we miss the party? How do we too often miss the party? One is we refuse the invitation. Notice verse 3, the kingdom of heaven, you know, compared to be king, he throws a big party and verse 3 says this, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. How absurd. I mean, this is the event of the year. And they were unwilling to come. And he sends another group of servants and they still do not respond. And the parable gives two reasons why people don't respond to the invitation. Verse 5 says this, But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm or fields, another to his business. One reason they don't come when they're invited is that they just simply ignore the invitation. 
I've got other things to take care of. There's other things that are more important to me. Yeah, 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 that's fine, you know, yeah, celebrating the sun, whatever, but man, I gotta work. I gotta take care of my stuff. I gotta earn money. I gotta provide for my family. I've gotta engage in my farm. I've gotta engage in my business. I have to make life work my way. These are those who, you know, they got the wedding invitation and they RSVP'd. Sure, I'll be there and four of us are coming. I'm bringing my kids, whatever. They send it back in. But when the wedding comes, they don't show. They may have RSVP'd, but they haven't shown. I, I wonder if this might equate to those of us who, you know, pray to prayer one day. Yeah, I want to be a Christian. I'll pray a prayer, you know. Yeah, I want to receive Jesus. Say, Jesus, come into my life. But then we don't show up for the party. We're just too busy living our own lives and we may stay sort of attached to Christianity somehow, but we never really come to the party. If that's you, you've never really entered the party. It's time to do that. It's time to quit ignoring the celebration that Jesus offers you. The second group, verse 6, it says, The rest, some did that, but the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. That's a little harsh, right? (laughs) No, I'm not coming to the party and I'm going to stab you for even inviting me. (laughs) What a picture, huh? It's... These are those who violently resist Jesus. Who say, I'm, not, I'm going to run my own life. You are not going to be Lord of my life. I'm going to control my own life. These are those who violently resist him. I know a guy, Jeff, who every opportunity he had to mock Christians, he would do that. Make fun of their faith at work, in his neighborhood, what idiots. You're just cripples. <laughs> Christianity's just a crutch. And on and on and on. But a few of us got to know him a little bit. We started to understand that he had some real hurts in his past from some church experience he'd had and some hardness of heart. And we you know, we kind of just reached out to him and some others really loved him through that and eventually <laughs> he came to the feast. But he was a good example of somebody who just violently resisted for whatever reason. So one way that we can miss the party is never really come to the feast. Never really come to the party. Just simply, either passively or actively, resist the invitation. But Jesus longs for us to come. He longs for us to come to the party. And He will bless us as we learn to come and center our lives. Think about the wedding feast. It's You're looking at the groom in this case and you're focusing your life on Him and you're learning to center your life on Him. That's what becomes most important to you is Him, not you. I think that's why Jesus tells us to celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly because it's a feast together. We're feasting what? On Him. On what He has done for us. 
It's a reminder that that's what our lives are to be centered on and focused on. It's what he's done for us, not what we do for him. And when we do that, it gives us a deeper joy that sees us through the tough times. Ray Stedman in a sermon said this, It's amazing to me how many Christians never appear to be joyful. They're always gloomy and grim. I am reminded of what a little girl said upon seeing a mule for the first time. I don't know what you are, but you must be a Christian because you look just like Grandpa. (laughs) Ouch. You know, the point is that too many Christians just look bummed out all the time. I'm not saying we have to put on a fake smile, but is there a deeper joy that drives you that no matter what's happening in your life, circumstantially, you know you're okay with Jesus and you're focusing on Him and celebrating Him and you're at the party no matter what's going on outwardly. That's what Jesus longs for us to experience. That's not happiness. You know, happiness is sort of the superficial, circumstantial, boy, I really love what's happening right now. No, joy is far deeper, far more valuable, far more significant that sees us through the ups and downs of life. So one way to miss the party is simply to ignore the invitation. But the second way is to wear the wrong clothes. Now this last part of this parable to me is pretty strange. (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, here's the celebration. Finally, he got all his guests and the party's going on and they are feasting. It's a great time and they're all gathered there and the king walks in and he's looking around and he's saying, man, my son's being celebrated. Isn't this great? I love it. And wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's somebody there who's not wearing wedding clothes. Get him out of here. Throw him into the outer darkness. Isn't that kind of strange? I mean, it's, it's pretty powerful. I mean, why did he get kicked out is the question. What was the problem with not wearing wedding clothes? Now, some have said that the wedding clothes represent our righteous deeds. And I think they're probably thinking that in reference to Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and following, where it says this. A wonderful passage about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verse 7 through 9, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write, Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. And we look forward to that, right? The final big wedding feast of the Lamb. But it says there that those who are seated there are dressed in their good works, the righteous acts of the saints. But I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to here in terms of wedding clothes, partly because of verse 10, where it says he gathered together those who were evil and good. It's not how good you are that gets you in. Now, the Jews thought that. Hey, nobody gets in. And verse 10 must have been shocking to them because they were thinking, nobody gets in unless they're really good. And we 
too often in our culture can think that too. Nobody gets in unless they're really good. But notice what Jesus says. The evil and the good got invited and there came. It has nothing to do with your goodness. So what, what does it refer to? Well, a little background I think helps us understand. The Jews, again, thought that what gets you into the party, gets you acceptable before God, was typically one of three things. One is being born a Jew. It's your nationalism. It's your national heritage. We are the chosen people of God. Or secondly, they thought what got you in, what gave you a ticket into the wedding feast, was your knowledge. Knowing the Torah. Because you know the Torah, then God must accept you. And third, they thought that what got you in was moralism. Keeping the law. Doing the right thing. God loves me and blesses me because what I, of what I do and what I don't do. Now, I think we in America make all three of these same mistakes. We show up at the wedding feast in our God Bless America t-shirt and think because I'm an American, God's got to let me in. Because we're a Christian nation, right? And we think we depend on that. That doesn't get you in. Or we think our knowledge of the Bible. You know, it's how much I know. So we, we show up in our you know, scholar's robe, our graduation robe, and we think, look at all I know. And he says, no, that doesn't get you in. Or we show up in our work clothes. Look all the work I've done for you, Jesus. Look how hard I've fought against sin. Look at how hard I'm working to make my life better. And, you know, I spent all kinds of time in the mirror making sure my clothes were all clean and pressed, Jesus. So can you let me in? And he says, no, that's not the right clothes. So what are the wedding clothes? Well, think about it. The wedding clothes are clothes that you wear to celebrate the sun. Ultimately, I think what it's describing is his gift of righteousness to us. Those are the proper wedding clothes that I come to you not because of anything I've done, not because of what I know, not because of where I live, but because of what you have done for me. And that's foundational to everything I do when I come to you. That's all I can depend on is the clothes of righteousness that you give me. I think that's what Jesus is saying here. In fact, I think he has in mind probably Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verse 10. Where Isaiah writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. <laughs> the Lord has given me this robe that is so beautiful. It's a gift from Him. It's His righteousness. It's His salvation. And man, isn't it nice? <laughs> and I get to get into the party and now focus on the bridegroom and celebrate Him. 
That's what gets us into the party, folks. That's the proper clothing. Nothing else. But it's celebrating his life in me, his death for me, the righteousness that comes as a gift as I put my faith in Jesus Christ. So whether I've been doing real well in my Christian walk or haven't been doing so well, I can put on that robe of righteousness and walk in any time to the celebration because it's a gift from him. Verse 14 ends this parable and it says, For many are called, in my translation, many are called, but few are chosen. Or as my friend often says, many are cold, but few are frozen. He loves ice cream. Okay. (laughs) What is Jesus getting at here? Well, don't take this as a big theological point about predestination and You know, many are called, but only a few actually get chosen by God. That isn't what Jesus is saying here, I don't believe. I think what he's saying is, look, the invitation's gone out. Will you respond and become one of my chosen people? Will you come to the feast? Will you come to the party? Will you just put on the clothes I give you, the clothes of righteousness, and begin to live a life of thankfulness and celebration to him? walking through life with a deeper joy that gets you through the tough times. Jesus gave this parable as a warning to the Jews. Don't miss the party. And it's a warning to us, even as believers, that we can miss the party too if our focus is on what we're doing rather than on what He has already done. I am so humbled by some people I've watched in my life, and I'm thinking particularly right now of Danelle Ivins, Mike Birdsong, both of whom are just completing cancer treatments. They've gone through tremendous suffering and pain, difficulty. I'm thinking of other friends, Don and Kay, who are really good friends of mine. They're in their 80s. They have gone through tremendous suffering in their lives. And yet, these are people who I've watched go through tremendous suffering, and they have suffered gracefully. In fact, more than that, they've suffered with joy. Wow. How do you do that? It's because in the midst of the physical pain and difficulty and disruption, they're partying. (laughs) They're at the feast. They are celebrating the sun. And when we learn to live in that joy, Lord, it's about you, and I'm celebrating you and delighting in you, then we learn to have joy no matter what we're going through. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you offer robes of righteousness as a gift. Nothing we could earn could give us those. But they're a gift from you. And thank you that you want us to join the party, even now, to live a life of joy, even in the midst of struggle and pain. Thank you for those examples who have learned to do that. May we be people who learn to join the party and delight in you, rejoice in you, 
so that your life might be more visible in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.